0: Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Hey, good morning, church. How we doing? Man, good to see you guys. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have the blessing and opportunity of sharing from God's word with you today. We are in the middle of a series called Marked, Marked by Jesus, you all have been uh, following along or watching online, listening, or you've been here the last few weeks, you've seen that we are walking through the book of Mark verse by verse. Uh, this is something we do at our church. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and so we're in the middle of Mark. We're six weeks in, and uh, we're going to actually be walking through Mark over the next two years. Uh, so we're going deep into this, to this book of the Bible, and uh, as Chrissy mentioned last week, because of the panel we had on race and reconciliation and unity, which I'd encourage you to go back and listen or watch online. Again, we're on uh, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes podcasts. Um, because of that, we actually skipped a week. And so what I did was I filmed the last week's section of scripture uh, from Mark 1 online. So you can go listen, catch up there. And uh, so you're up to, up to date with our walk through the book of Mark. But today I'm coming from Mark 1, starting in verse 29. We're going to go 29 through 34, so if you could go there, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. You guys ready? Yep. Yeah, okay, I can tell. Uh, so, so listen, um, my wife is a Christmas person. Where am I like Christmas psychos at? Like you live for Christmas. For my wife, Christmas starts September 1st. And it goes till January 1st. There's something wrong with her. Pray for me, okay? And so, uh, one of my family's, my kids', and my wife's favorite movie is the Polar Express. And so, September 1st, they start watching the Polar Express. They usually watch it 20 to 30 times every Christmas season. My kids know it by heart. They act the whole thing out during it. It's quite the spectacle in our home. And, uh, man, they, they go in on the Polar Express. They live for that. In fact, we wore out the DVD. It stopped playing. So we had to buy the Blu-ray this last year so, that, uh, so we could still watch it. And so... One of the key things and really the main theme of the Polar Express is to believe, right? And so there's this part in in the Polar Express where the the kid, he, he hasn't believed in Santa and he's holding the sleigh bell from Santa's sleigh and he can't hear it. And all the other kids are saying, oh, aren't the bells so beautiful? Can you hear them, you know, jingling and he can't hear it. And so he's standing there holding the bell and he starts saying it. I believe. I believe, and as he's saying it, he's shaking it, and suddenly he begins to hear the bell ring, and uh, because of his belief, and so this is like something that my kids do, they walk around our house going, I believe, and uh, and their favorite movie, but today I want to talk to you about believing, I want to talk to you about belief, and if you remember a few weeks back in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, uh, we jumped in and we talked about This idea of repentance and a revival of repentance was the topic of that sermon. And uh, there's a section of scripture that I read and that we went through a few weeks back in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. If you could throw that up for me. And it actually says that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so a couple weeks back, we really focused on the repentance side of things. But today, I want to focus on the believe side of things. I want to talk to you about believing and the power that is found in believing. You see, there's some power when we believe. In fact, the original Greek word for the word believe, it attached to it this idea of entirely changing your thinking or your thought process. So when you believe... You actually change the way you think. And so I know that some of you are in here and you're like, okay, what what does that mean for me? I I don't know if you're in here and you're new to the faith, you're new to to church, or or not. Maybe you're in here and you've been following God for a long time. Regardless, when you begin to follow Jesus, your thinking, your thought process has to change. And how does it change? It has to change to be in line with this. I know that culture would try to tell us how to think. Um, the news would try to tell us how to think. A lot of the things you read on social media would try to tell you how to think. But if we're going to follow Jesus, this is the only thing that should inform our thinking. This is the only thing that can guide our thinking. And so when you repent, right, there's a change that happens. There's a confession that happens. But the believing means your thought process switches. And it's why I've actually found that a lot of people have a hard time in church. And you want to know why they have a hard time in church? It's because, and it's often the Christians or the people who've been in Christianity for a long time that have a hard time in church. The reason they have a hard time is because they begin to associate their faith with tradition. And let me tell you, man's tradition is not always rooted in God's word. And so I'm not saying that tradition is a bad thing. And I think that there's some traditions that are good thing. Good things. I encourage families to have traditions. But at the end of the day... If the traditions we find in the church don't align with God's word, they're not not traditions that we should hold to. They're not traditions that we should hold on to. And that's what happens with the Pharisees. And we're going to talk more about the Pharisees in the coming weeks. That's what happens because a lot of us have a Pharisaical mindset in the church. We get stuck in legalism and law and rules. And much of it is not rooted in the word, but it's rooted in tradition. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, that you would begin to change the way you're thinking. Whether you're new to faith, new to Jesus, or you've been following Jesus for years and tradition has taken over your thought process. Man, the Bible must inform our thinking. It must inform our thought process. It must inform the the process in which we process life and things and make decisions and choices. So I want to set up, I'm going to read here in a moment, Mark 1. Uh, verse 29 through 34, but I want to set it up real quick because you missed last week and you guys haven't got to watch it or listen to it yet. Uh, Most likely, Uh, last week we saw that Jesus enters in to a synagogue in Capernaum. And he begins to preach. And as he begins to preach, the people are in awe because he's preaching with power and authority. They've never seen anything like it. They've never experienced anyone like him. No one's ever taught them the way that he teaches them. And so they're in awe. It says they're astonished. They're amazed at Jesus' teaching. And then, as he does this, suddenly there's a person with a a spirit, a, a demonic spirit... And, and, and he sees this and he casts that spirit out. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen. Because last week was all about demons and the devil. It was a fun one, let me tell you. You guys are not going to want to miss it. And so this is what happens. And then he immediately leaves the synagogue after teaching, casting out this unclean spirit. And he goes to Simon's house. And he goes to his house and, and he, encounters, uh, he, he encounters his mother-in-law who is sick. And so that's where we're going to re- be reading from today. But I love that after being in the synagogue, they immediately go to dinner, they go to, to this meal and he goes because he, he's invited. How many of you know that fellowship and church is not real unless we're eating? Come on somebody. Um, church is only facts if there's food attached to it, alright. So I want to challenge you because I know y'all are down with brunch. We got any brunch fans in here? Some of you are already thinking about brunch. I'm, you're, you're ready to get down on your way out of here. Um, and I love brunch but I want to tell you man, I believe that there's something powerful about having a meal together. And Jesus goes after church, after the synagogue, and has a meal at someone's house. Why? Because he's invited. So I'd actually encourage you, maybe some of you in this room, you need to invite somebody that you know you've met, you've spent some time with. Maybe you haven't really gotten to know them yet. Invite them to lunch, maybe right after service today. In fact, you can say, hey, let's go to Bacon and Butter. We'll wait in line for an hour, and then we'll get to eat for an hour, okay? You you could do that. You get to spend two hours together. Get all kinds of time to get to know one another. But let me tell you, there's something powerful about sharing a meal together, About fellowshipping with one another. There's an intimacy that comes. And this is what Jesus himself does. He goes and he eats with people that invite him over. So let's read Mark chapter 1, verse 29. I'm going to read through verse 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I want to talk to you today about believing. About what do you believe in and the power in belief. Number one. Believe in the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus came to seek and to save all those who are lost. The good news that if, all, if you just put your faith in him, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And if you're in this place, let me tell you, we all need to be saved. I need to be saved. You need to be saved. There's power in the gospel. Let me tell you, one of my favorite things about church... Is when people encounter the good news of Jesus. Because the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it literally changes lives. And we have countless stories, story after story, of people in this very room right now and people that have come to our church whose lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. This isn't just something we do here on Sunday mornings. We're not just doing church for fun. We're not just doing church because it will make us feel good. We're doing church because God is a powerful God and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ literally changes people's lives. It transforms marriages. We've seen marriages resurrected from the dead. We've seen lame, we've seen injured people healed. We've seen hurt people set free. We've seen people that have been bound up in addiction set free from those things. Listen, the power of the gospel is real. And we've seen it happen here in this very church. And I want to tell you, sometimes we forget about just how powerful that gospel is. We start going through the motions and we think, oh, yeah, just going to go to church, check that box off the list. Oh man, worship worship wasn't that great today. I wasn't really feeling it. I hear people say that. You know, it wasn't that great today. I wasn't really feeling it. And I tell people all the time, well that's fine because we weren't worshipping you. We were worshipping Jesus. This isn't for you. This is for him. And so listen, it's about him, the power of the gospel. We come in here to worship him, but guess what happens? Then he begins to change us. He begins to transform us. There's power in the gospel. Mark 1.30. This story that I, that I just read to you is actually recorded in all four of the gospels. Uh, there's there's not, uh, not all the stories are, but this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now I love Mark. Because Mark is a fast-paced, hard-hitting gospel. It's the shortest of all the gospels, and it literally hits each story with, with a ferocity and a, and, a, and a clarity. In fact, even in this, own, this passage I just read twice, Mark says, immediately, immediately. That's just how Mark does it. So the gospel of Mark is actually the account of Peter. If you didn't know this, Peter, it, his son in the faith is Mark, and Peter is actually telling Mark, about his experience with Jesus, and Mark is writing it down. That's why we call this the Gospel of Mark, because he wrote it. But Peter, it's Peter's telling. And so Peter is telling this story, and we see here early on this this passage and this story that's in all four of the Gospels. And I I want you to to hear me in this, because there's a key point that that I need to make today, and it's this. God loves mother-in-laws. Come on, somebody. (laughs) God loves mother-in-laws. I mean, look at this. Simon's mother-in-law is ill, and Jesus goes in and heals her. God loves mother-in-laws. In In fact, I want to say a a, a shout-out to my mother-in-law, Victoria. She watches all our sermons online. So, Victoria, I love you. You're an amazing mother-in-law. Thank you. In fact, we got a bunch of the Daco family in the house today, Christy's family. Where are you at, Daco family? They're in the back. Come on, Christy's family. We We got all kinds of Filipinos up in here today. Come on, somebody. Love it. But this mother-in-law, some of you are like, okay, that's nice. Like, Jesus heals her of a of a fever, but that's not really a big deal. Like, that's not much of a miracle. He may have slipped her some Nyquil or something. Like, you know, like it wouldn't have taken much power to heal a fever. Maybe it was just placebo that got her out of bed. But but if we actually look at the Gospel of Luke, so throw up Luke four thirty nine, we see here that this is not just any fever; it's a high fever. In fact, one translation calls it a mega fever. This woman is laid up. She's not able to communicate. She is out of it. I mean, this is a bad situation that she finds herself in. She is really, really sick. Any of you all been, ever been really, really sick? Yes, yeah, she is really, really sick. And uh, in this day, they didn't have the same medicine that we have today. And so they don't know what to do. So they bring Jesus To her, And I love how Luke puts it, because it says that he stands over her, he stood over her, and told the fever to leave, and it left. So I wanted you to see that, because Luke's gospel actually puts it a little different. And we actually see that Jesus addresses the fever much like he addressed the demon possession that happened in multiple places in the gospels. So he actually like speaks this thing out, calls this thing out, rebukes this thing from her. And I think this is a great reminder for us, church, that we would be a people that pray when our friends, when our family are sick. I don't want my default to be, let's call the doctor, let's call the Kaiser advice nurse. I don't want my default to be, oh, got to get some NyQuil in me real quick. No, I want my default to be, Jesus, you have all the power, you can heal me, so I'm going to go to you and I'm going to trust in it. Listen, I know you may be like... This church believes in in that? You you believe in healing? Absolutely we do. We believe in a Savior that, that didn't just heal back then, but this is the same time in the service. As the 9.30, like 10 minutes into my sermon, my mic went out. In the exact same way. Who's doing this? This is demonic. Somebody begin to pray. Same exact spot in the sermon. It did it. One, two, Mike, Michael, make sure that's off. We good? Come on, somebody. Give it up for our production sound team. They're on it. They knew it was coming. Do I need to rebuke y'all or what? What's going on? Listen, I, I, I love my wife. She's good at this. When anyone in our family is sick, she gets my kids together and immediately we pray over them. They pray over each other. They pray over me. They pray over her. I want that to be my default. I want my family to know that we go to Jesus first before we go to any medicine or any doctor or any hospital. We go to Jesus. Listen, he's a miracle-working God. He's a healing God. And I've seen miracles. I've seen healings. We've seen healings happen right here in this room, down here at this altar. I believe it. We need to believe in the power of the presence and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He still heals. You know, I think it's interesting, I don't believe this woman was possessed, but I do believe, and I talked about this last week, and some of you will be like, okay, now we're getting weird, Caleb. I do believe that while many of our sicknesses are viral, uh, there's a scientific explanation behind them. I do believe that with the, the spiritual world that we live in, the demonic attacks of the enemy, right? We don't battle against flesh and blood. That there are real attacks of the enemy that are causing physical harm, physical sicknesses on people. And that's why we need to pray. We need to always be praying. We need to make our default prayer that God would bring healing. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take medicine. It doesn't mean you don't go to the doctor. I still do those things. I, I still take it if I need to do it, but I go first to my Savior. And let me tell you, one of the great mysteries of our God is that sometimes he heals and sometimes he doesn't. But I trust him no matter what. I want to at least give God an opportunity to work a miracle. My grandfather used to always say to me, he's like, he used to always say to our church too, he said, Caleb, I think in the church today, we don't give God opportunities to work miracles. We're always saying, Why doesn't God work miracles anymore in the church? Why doesn't God work miracles anymore in America? Why doesn't God work miracles anymore in our lives? Why? Because we don't give him an opportunity to. Instead of going him to In prayer, when we have a sickness, we go straight to the NyQuil. Why not go to God first? Give him an opportunity to work a miracle. We said we need to build in God. The only way it's going to happen is through you. We gave him an opportunity to work a miracle and he showed up. We got to give God opportunities because he is a miracle working God. When you believe in the power of the gospel, you pray for people to be healed. I want to tell you right now, church, listen. Make it your default prayer. Make it your default with your family. Make it your default with your friends. Make it your default even with your coworkers. Now don't go casting out that demonic presence of, of flu on them. They might get weirded out, okay? Don't get crazy in the break room. But you can pray for them if they ask you to pray. Say, Lord, heal them. You can do it. That's a simple prayer. That's it. God honors simple prayers. He doesn't need us to, to, to be super eloquent or say all the right things. No, his power supersedes all. That's not about us. It's about him anyways. The power of the gospel. We have to believe in it. Because the power of the gospel, it changes lives. It sets people free. It restores marriages. It brings relationships back together. It, it, it heals sicknesses. Second today, believe in the power of serving. Everybody look at your neighbor, and say, You got served. Tell them. I'm just playing. <laughs> I don't know what you got served by. Verse 31. Says this mother in law gets healed, and what does she do? She began to serve them. Immediately, this woman gets up and begins to serve. She serves Jesus. She serves the people in the home that are eating, that are having a meal together. What an opportunity we have to serve. Let me tell you, let me tell you, I I love that we don't have to serve, we get to serve. At Project Church, we don't have to, we get to. And I'm so thankful for the people that show up here every Sunday and serve. And some of you have been showing up, you're like, man, this church, they got it on lock. They're good to go. Let me tell you, we can use you. God can use you. You have something to give. We got people that show up here every morning. They got people that serve every week. And some of you are like, man, it's time. You can stop in at the info table on your way out, all right? Sign up for a team. We love to see you. We love to have you serving here. It's an opportunity we have to serve. God blesses us to serve to serve the church, to serve Jesus, to serve the people around us. Verse 32 says, that evening at sundown so here's what happens. I want to begin to to shift gears a little. So this woman is healed. She begins to serve this mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law and then it says that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So There's a quick shift that happens, and I I wanted you to understand, like, why at evening, at sundown, did they bring everyone? And they did this because it was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you are breaking the law and sinning if you did any work. So to bring their sick friends, their sick family members, their demon-possessed friends, their demon-possessed family members. Some of y'all are like, I got some demon-possessed friends. I know that. Um... To bring them on the Sabbath would have been breaking the law and they would have been sinning. So they wait. They wait till sundown. I don't know if you ever experienced this. I've been to a Jewish uh, hotel where on the Sabbath the, the elevators actually stop at every floor. Because if you were to push a button, that would be considered work. And that would be sin. And so don't go to a Jewish hotel on the Sabbath. Okay, you'll be waiting in the elevator for a while. But, but this is just an example. So, so on the Sabbath... They, they wait until the sun goes down, the Sabbath has ended, and then they begin to bring those who they know, their friends, their family members, to Jesus. We have an opportunity to serve the people in our lives, don't we? To serve the loved ones, our family members, our friends, those close to us, that we would be people that serve. There's power in serving. In verse 33, it actually says, the whole city... And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city shows up. Now, let me set some things up about the city. I'm guessing Peter is exaggerating, okay. And I'm guessing Mark is exaggerating. Because if we just read the section before, we read that they're in Capernaum. Capernaum was a city on the north uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a port city, a very popular city, uh, a very prominent city, and it was a city of 10,000 people in this day. And he says, the whole city, at least all the sick ones, and all the demon-possessed ones show up. This is a lot of people. And so he may be exaggerating, but I think what Mark is trying to say is, look, there is a lot of people, a grip of people, as they say. All right? It it is a, a large amount of people that have gathered. And yet, what do we see they're healed because they believe, and we see Jesus actually serves them with his gifts. You see, we don't serve a Savior that doesn't ask us to serve that hasn't already served. In fact, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Some of us are really quick to be served, but we're not quick to serve. God is looking for people that will serve, that will be servants, that will give them themselves, that won't have a have-to mentality, but a get-to mentality. Listen, there's an element of mystery when it comes to healing but at the end of the day, the one thing that we know we can control, only Jesus could touch every person and heal every person. We don't have that power. We trust in God whether he heals or whether he doesn't. We know that when he does heal it's for his purposes and we know when he doesn't heal it's because he has a purpose in that too. But what we do know is what we can control is how we serve and if we serve and will we serve. Jesus set the example of serving. He did it First, because he was asked. I want to ask you, when you are asked to serve, when people in your life ask you to serve them, to help them, to be a part of their life, are you willing to do it? Yesterday we moved. It's been a rough week, guys. We moved yesterday, first time in five years that we've moved. And I asked a bunch of people to serve. Some showed up and some didn't. (laughs) I'm just playing. (laughs) But really they didn't. (laughs) When we're asked to serve, are we willing to serve? Jesus, he served, he healed. Why? Because he was asked. Second, he he served, he healed because it freed her up to serve. You see, when you serve, it actually frees others to serve. When you serve, it inspires others to serve. This woman's laid up in a bed this mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, Jesus heals her and immediately she can begin to serve. Let me tell you, there's power in your serving because your serving isn't just honoring God, but it's actually inspiring others as well. When we are a people with a heart of servanthood, a people that are willing to serve those around us, to serve those close to us, to serve those that maybe we don't even know, to serve that coworker who you have a really hard time with, when you have that, it actually inspires other people to serve as well. And then... Jesus set the example for us in serving by because people came to him. You see, people come to Jesus, and he serves them. People come to Jesus, and, and he prays for them. People come to Jesus, and, and he works miracles for them. Which leads to the last thing to believe in is to believe in the power of the personal. Everybody say personal. Here's what Luke's account says. Of this story, Luke 440. Throw it up for me. It says, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I don't know if you remember, but in verse 33 it says, the whole city is at the door. The whole city shows up at this home. The whole city of sick people, of demon-possessed people show up outside of this home where Jesus was. Word spread. They heard of his power. They heard of the miracles he was working. They all show up. Then it says that Jesus, actually, and if the band would come back, it says that Jesus lays his hands on a few of them. No, it didn't say that. It said Jesus lays his hands on half of them. No, it didn't say that. It says Jesus lays his hands on every one of them. I wanted you to hear me today. We serve a personal God. A God that cares about you individually. He cares about your needs. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your challenges. He cares about your problems. He cares about your pain. He's a personal God. We have to believe in the power of the personal God that we serve, that he sees you, that he knows you. This is a personal gospel. Do you hear me, church? It's a personal gospel. This is a personal good news that you have. You see, Jesus, he saves us from something, but he also saves us for something. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from our past. He saves us from our mistakes. He saves us from death. But he also saves us for something. He saves us for purpose, on purpose. He saves us for the giftings that he put in us to be released. He saves us so we can have impact in this world. He saves us so we can serve others in our life. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. I think we need to believe again in the power of the personal God that we serve. You have a personal God that knows you by name. Let me tell you right now, he is a a best friend that maybe you, you didn't know you had. The Bible actually tells us that he knows us intimately. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows every situation, every struggle, every circumstance. He is a personal God. I just imagine Jesus at this home and and the whole city shows up. The whole city shows up on the scene. And we have hundreds of sick people and hundreds of of, of demon-possessed people. And Jesus begins to lay his hands on them one by one. He prays over one. And he prays over the next. And he prays over the next. It actually says that he silences the demons. They can't even speak in the presence of God. Come on, somebody. The enemy has no power in your life. He has no authority in your life. He has no power over you. And Jesus silences them. He says, you can't even speak. Not not here. Not now. But Jesus begins to lay his hands on every single one of them. Why? Because he's a personal God. This is a personal gospel. This isn't just a story, it's not just some pie in the sky thing that's for those people or that person or, or, yeah, this is an overarching blanket, like, yeah, Jesus loves us. No, He loves you. He died for you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows the pain you went through last night, yesterday, last year, the year before. He knows what's happened in your personal life, in your relationships, in your struggles. He knows what you've walked through, what you've been through, what you've come out of, what you're about to walk into. He knows why, because He's personal. And I want you to hear me today, because I think some of us, we, we have this separation and this divide between us and God, and, and, and maybe you have a hard time with God as a father. But I wanted to tell you that he's not just a father, he's a friend. He's not just a father, he's your best friend. And I'm thankful today that I've got to know the power of the personal God that I serve. But I know there might be somebody in this room that would say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really know this Savior Jesus you're speaking of. I don't really have a relationship with this Savior Jesus that you're talking about. Or maybe you did at one time. You say, Caleb, I, I, I ran away from God. I turned my back on God. I tried to do it my way. I tried to do it in my strength. I tried to do it in my power. I wanted to tell you today. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is power over your struggle. There is power over your pain. There is power over your sin. There is power over whatever you're walking through. There is power, why? Because He's a personal God and He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Listen, God knows you. The question is, do you know Him? The question is, Do you believe in Him? Do you believe in His power? I said today, the idea today is believe. Believe in His power. And so I want to ask you, what do you believe in? What do you believe in? A lot of us believe in ourselves. We believe in our strength. We believe in our success. We believe in what we can accomplish, what we can do. We believe in all these different things. But do you believe in a Savior that came for you? that knows you by name, that would leave the 99 to go after you if you were the one. A Savior that sees you, that calls you, that has a purpose for you. He hasn't just called you from something before something. Today's your day. You see, I think today God wanted us to believe in a greater way. Here's what I believe God wanted to do in this place. Someone in this room is going to give their life to Jesus for the first time. Someone in this room is going to recommit their life to Jesus. But a lot of you in this room are going to have your faith rise. You believe, but you need to believe more in the power of the gospel. You believe, but you need to believe more that God can set people free. You believe, but you need to believe in a greater way that God can work miracles, that God can heal, that God can set people free. Today in this place, I believe faith is rising in our hearts. That's what God wanted to do. Greater belief, greater faith. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, today's your day. If you've ran from Jesus, today's your day. Don't let one more moment go by without him being your best friend. He is a personal God and he wants a personal relationship with you. Would you bow your heads with me across this place? We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.